Hey, what's up, guys? It's Michael from the Honest Youth Pastor back again with another sermon review. Today, we are going to be looking at a sermon from someone named Gary Hamrick. Uh, I've actually never heard of Gary before. Don't, have never heard of the church uh, that they're at. In fact, they're at uh, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Virginia. Uh, I'm not sure really anything about this church. In fact, the only way I actually even know of it is I was going through um, finishing up a sermon I'm going to be preaching on Jude or part of Jude. And I always like to hear kind of what other people have taken from it. So after I get done with the sermon and all the prep and the sermon is uh, written out and it's ready to be given, uh, I like to go see what other people have said about it so that like I can see, okay, well, is there something maybe I missed, something that, you know, maybe they have insight on that maybe I missed in my prep just to kind of see kind of in the last minutes before, you know, the last few days before I preach the sermon. Hey. Maybe they have something that maybe I missed there that would be helpful. And I came across uh, this one from Gary uh, just accidentally because of the YouTube algorithm and how it was presented in the search list. And I listened to it and I was really impressed by it. So cards on the table automatically, right? Uh, we may never, you may never ever ever have heard of Gary, uh, but this is interesting because this was uploaded February 13th of 2020. Uh, it has 400, 18,000 views. So apparently quite a few people know of this church and of Gary uh, and have listened to this sermon. Maybe it's just one of the things that I don't live in the area or he's not like on a huge national stage. So I haven't seen him, but this is a sermon that I think that uh, we can listen to. And there may be things you disagree with. And uh, I don't know if we'll get this far in it. He actually mentions Chuck Smith. And I know some people have some issues with like Chuck Smith and that whole movement uh, that Chuck was a part of. But aside from that, uh, I think if we're just looking at the sermon structure, this is going to be one of those sermons where we can say, oh, this is a great example of the things that should be in a sermon that we should kind of listen for and present. Now, I know automatically a lot of people are either not going to click on this video because they've never heard of Gary or two, it's uh, I've already said that it's a good sermon. So there's not going to be roasting of any pastor or any any sort of methodology here. And I would urge you not to do that, not because I want you to watch the all my videos and get the video views up, but because I think that oftentimes we are far more apt as as people to want to see like the terribleness and be like, oh yeah, that's wrong. But we're not so apt to stick around and look for the good things that we can kind of use to put in our tool belt for when we do watch other sermons uh, and, and look for the good things in them. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be looking at a uh, just the book of Jude is what it's called from Gary Hamrick. I will provide the link in the description below if you want to watch this full sermon without my commentary as I would expect you might want to. Um, and if you are new here, before we get too far into it, you might think, okay, well, that was great what you said before, but wha what is the sermon review and why are you doing them? Well, we do the sermon reviews here because we all have access to well, YouTube, right? And a plethora of different sermons we can view online. And some of those sermons are really good. Uh, some of them are not so great. And we need to be able to discern as believers, believers that have maybe been in the faith for a very short amount of time, or maybe believers that have been in the faith for a while, but just have been under a certain type of preaching and aren't aware that there are other types out there and look at not necessarily the methodology as far as how they structure everything, but the, the, the point of the sermon that's underneath. Are they using scripture correctly? Uh, are they talking about context and culture and wording and uh, the original language at some points? And are they preaching the gospel 
foremost and out front? Like, is that presented at some point within the message? Uh, and those are the things we're looking for. So we want to look for good things, bad things, and then comment on those so we can kind of be aware of those as we listen to sermons on our own and we can be more discerning about it and figure out, is this a pastor that I should actually be listening to? Like, are, are they treating the scripture uh, as it ought to be treated? Are they dividing truth rightly? Um, so we're going to be looking today at Gary Hamry called The Book of Jude. Uh, again, link will be in the description if you want to watch it, uh, but let's get into it and see how much we can cover, how much ground we can cover in about an hour. In the book of Jude tonight, if you need a Bible, our ushers are making their way up and down the aisle. So if you need one, just raise a hand. They'll be glad to give you one. And then uh, uh, if you have a church Bible, it's page 1201 in those Bibles. Uh, the book of Jude, page 1201 in the church Bibles. Well, let's pray first. Father, it's good to be in your house, and it's good in the middle of the week just to settle our hearts before you and to just kind of recalibrate things, just to get our hearts right, and uh, Lord, to just regain a perspective of, of what is right according to your word. And we live in very difficult days in terms of just how culture has become so relative and uh, people don't really understand truth as it is. And, and so we, we thank you that we hold in our hands that we have on our laps your word of truth. And we pray that it would guide us and direct us and give us wisdom and change us, Lord, shape us to be more like Jesus, our Savior. And we thank you for the book of Jude. As we go through it, Lord, just guide us by your Holy Spirit. Give us understanding. And we just love you and we praise you for the chance to be together in your house tonight. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, as always, a little background. This is obviously a, a tiny book, uh, only 25 verses. So we'll get through the whole book this evening, Lord willing. But here's a little background on the book of Jude. The writer is Jude, but that's actually a contracted form of his proper name, which is Judas. Now, one of the things as we start here, I want you to, to see, and this is what I really like. Now, obviously, if you're covering a larger book, I mean, he already noted that Jude is a very short letter. So this is easier to do with Jude. But you can do this with all books, especially if you are preaching through a specific book of the Bible. There's a great way, I mean, especially chapter one, before you even get into it, it's great to give what he's giving. And I just want you to note after I, you know, after we start this video again, the, the things that he points out, things that are um, helpful in regards to giving us a some sort of context of when this letter was written, who it was written by, why it was written, who it was written to. And it really grounds it in this reality that this was a time and a place and a person that was interacting with other people. Uh, and it gives us this, you know, solidarity throughout time and history that this, this happened. This was written to someone and we get, because of God's great providence throughout time, get to interact with this text as well uh, by the grace of God. So I just want you to see how he's starting this. There's lots of ways, as we've talked about before in sermon reviews, to start out a sermon. Sometimes it's uh, by way of introduction. It's, it's sort of a loose introduction of, hey, this book was by this person. Then what's nice about um, the ability to, to put PowerPoints up or to put video slides up is this sort of thing, to give people something that if they're trying to take notes, they're able to do so 
by what you present to them. So uh, he's chosen instead of entering in, in with a story and then into the text or in some sort of metaphor into a text or some sort of introduction uh, joke or anything like he's going right into the text from prayer, giving them backgrounds, dates, who it is, who it's written to. So that we, as the audience, if we're walking into this midweek Bible study and we're sitting down, we are we are being equipped with with what we need to know about the uh, the, the letter of Jude. So anyway, let's keep going. And he is the half brother of Jesus, and he is the brother of James. If you notice in chapter one, verse one, it says Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James. Now, the reason that he's making this distinction is because uh, Judas, his real name, um, is obviously another well-known name, and uh, Judas Iscariot was one of the 12 uh, of the original apostles that Jesus selected. And so this Judas, otherwise known as Jude, it's kind of like Robert is known as Bob, okay? So this Judas wants you to know, I'm not that Judas. I'm not Judas Iscariot. I am a bondservant of Jesus. And it's interesting, he doesn't use the family card. You know, he doesn't say, you know, Jesus is my half-brother. He said he calls himself a bondservant. It's the Greek word uh, doulos. It, he, he is a, um, an indentured servant. He has decided willfully to be a slave to Jesus Christ. And he doesn't use, he doesn't play the family card here for any kind of privilege or status. But he does let us know that he is the brother of James. And uh, Jesus had four brothers. They were all half-brothers, obviously. They all shared the same mother, not the same father. Jesus' father is God. And, and the father of his brothers was Joseph. But in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it tells us the, name, the names of Jesus' four half-brothers. They are Judas, this guy here, Jude, uh, Joseph, Simon, and James. And it tells us in Mark 6, 3, that Jesus also had sisters, plural, but they're not mentioned by name. So we know he had at least two sisters, and he had the four brothers who were mentioned by name. So he had six siblings, himself being the seventh child, Mary and Joseph making nine in the family. And you have to remember that back in those days, homes were really, really tiny. And so to have, to have nine people in the same home in those days was, uh, was crowded space, to say the least. But this is the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, Jude was not chosen as one of Jesus' original uh, apostles. Um, and, and, so, and, and neither was James, his other half-brother. But this James here, this brother of Jude, is the same James who wrote the epistle of James. The epistle of James. And the Bible says that, that all of Jesus' family at first, I guess with the exception of, of Mary, and we don't really know much about what Joseph believed or thought um, concerning uh, Jesus, except during the time of his birth. But uh, Joseph fades off the pages of the Bible after Jesus uh, is at the age of 12 in the temple area, and we don't hear of Joseph again. It is believed that he passes away. He's probably much older than Mary was. Uh, but the Bible does say that his siblings did not believe in him as the Messiah, not at first. Uh, they will later believe in him, as, as you will see here, Jude obviously does, and James does, who wrote the epistle of James. The one who wrote the epistle of James, James becomes a leader in, in the New Testament church. In Acts chapter 15, James is consulted as one of the leaders of the early church. 
And so his siblings will eventually come around, and this is one of them, his half-brother Judas here, or better known as, as Jude. The date of this writing is unknown because there's nothing specific that ties it to any particular event. So scholars give it a time period of somewhere between 65 and 80 AD. There are two main themes in the book of Jude, and here they are. Number one, he writes to expose false teachers. And number two, he writes to encourage believers to contend for the faith and to finish strong. Now he's gonna tell us in the first couple of verses that was not his original intent. He's gonna tell us that his original intent was just to write to fellow believers about their common salvation. To just kind of write about how good it is to know Jesus as Savior and, and to experience salvation and to be Christians and to share camaraderie as believers. But he's gonna change. He says, I found it more necessary to exhort you because he saw something dangerous in the early church and so he addresses first false teachers and he exposes them and he's gonna expose them heavily all right, so real quick, just to break in, because I know that was a very long kind of section there where I just kind of let him go. But I wanted you to see to see that, to, to see that unfolded, because oftentimes this does not happen. Now, I know there's some people that are going to be watching this that, that attend churches in which that does happen. Uh, you attend churches in which, like, that's like a regular Sunday morning for you, where this is just broken down. The dates are given, the author's given, the context is given, the word used, like everything he did there, that's sort of a norm for you. But... By and large, uh, from the people I've, talking to, uh, I've talked to, th that's just not a thing that normally happens. And I think we can see that if you look back through the other sermon re reviews we've done. More often than not, this isn't the normal sort of intro uh, that you would give or that you would hear give, given uh, in regards to a particular book or the opening of a sermon. But this is something that is very helpful. Now, is it necessary? I don't know if it's entirely necessary. But it is very helpful for those, especially for us as pastors, as we present the Word of God to people. It's one of those things that we're, we're obviously trying to, uh, to present the Word of God as is presented in Scripture to them, to equip them and to send them out uh, for the glory of the gospel and to spread the good name of Jesus. But it's also important in doing so to ground that to a point in time um, to show like, like this this. This is living, this is breathing, this happened. Um, and doing that, showing the date, showing who wrote it, seeing, I mean, he does a great job of where he kind of tied that back to Jesus's brothers and sisters using the scriptural reference that we do have in the Gospels, uh, talking about what we do know of the early church as far as James being a leader in the early church. Um, talking about how Judah, uh, Jude actually wants to make a distinction between himself and Judas Iscariot that they would have known as well. Um, all of this is really interesting for us as congregants, especially if we haven't heard this before. Uh, I think oftentimes as pastors, maybe we assume that the congregation knows the same information we would know from study, and that's just simply not the case by and large. Um, so presenting the intro like this before we get into reading the scripture can be helpful. I don't really care, uh, honestly, for me, how, as far as how it's arranged, I think this is very helpful that he does this before he reads the scripture. Clearly, you could have read the scripture and then talked about it, but it's much more of a, it's a nice kind of, a, you know, kind of a prequel, a prequel before we get into the scripture to understand what we're about to read. So that now, right now, as we get into James, or not James, sorry, now as we get into Jude, as he starts reading through Jude, 
we have a reference, a framework in our head as those listening to him preach of what's occurring and why it's occurring, who this person is, why he's saying what he's saying and what connection he has to the larger church body and Jesus and the apostles. And it helps answers, answer a lot of questions we may have before we even ask those questions because there's, there's enough forethought and preparation put into place like this. So again, I know that was kind of a long section, but it's important to do that. And you can do so where it's not just like dry, like that, the way that he's presenting it here um, is helpful. It's engaging. It's, it's keeping us kind of going along so that we're interested now about who Jude is instead of just what Jude wrote. Like we, we have a little bit of background of what we do know about him. So that being said, let's, let's hop back in because now as we get into the book of Jude, we have more information, likely more information than we had before we started. And then, and then he's going to also encourage believers to contend for the faith and finish strong. So I'm going to point out to you just a few of the different terms, not all of them, but a few of the different terms in just 25 verses that Jude uses to describe these false teachers. And you can, you'll see it as we go through, but I just wanted to kind of pull them out so, so we could see what he thinks of these false teachers. So, let there be no mistake, he didn't like them. And so he calls them ungodly in verse 4. Dreamers in verse 8. In other words, they're not in touch with reality. He calls them spots or blemishes in verse 12. He calls them waterless clouds. Just, just big puffy things that don't ever produce any, any rain. He calls them fruitless trees also in verse 12 because, you know, you will know people by their fruit. And he says these, these false teachers, you can spot them as false because they have no fruit, not, nothing legitimate. And he calls them raging waves in verse 13. And he calls them wandering stars also. So he uses different terms to just describe them. But probably the worst of the language concerning these false teachers is at the end of verse 13. If you just glance ahead in your Bibles at the end of verse 13, he says, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, that is a very nice way of saying they're going to hell. Because Jesus said three times in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 8, 12, Matthew 22, 13, Matthew 25, 30, that one of the things that describes hell is outer darkness. Outer darkness. It's interesting, you know, the Bible also speaks about unquenchable f flames, but yet the unquenchable flames must not put off light because at the same time that the Bible describes hell as having unquenchable flames, it also says that it is a place of outer darkness, outer darkness. You know, the thing about darkness is it leaves someone feeling completely isolated, completely isolated. It is, it is a terrible thing to, to be in the dark. And, uh, and so... Uh, Jude says about these guys, they're ungodly dreamer spots, waterless clouds, fruitless trees, raging waves, wandering stars, and blackness of darkness has been reserved for them forever. So he, uh, he pronounces, you know, judgment upon these guys because they're not being true to doctrine. They're misleading people. They are distorting the truth of God's word. They are not representing Jesus. And, and again, Jude doesn't play the family card, but he knows Jesus. Right? He grew up with Jesus. Now, that would be wonderful on the one hand and tough on the other hand, wouldn't it? Now, one thing I want to point out, because he's sort of shifting into another uh, line of thought here, but what he did there, and I hope you see it, he connected what Jude said about uh, the darkness of hell, outer lying darkness, with what 
Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, he, he referenced three verses. We talked about this before, but again, if this is your first sermon review, one of the things we want to look for in sermons is, uh, as a pastor or as pastors, as we preach through text, that if possible, we reference to other places, rightly, of course, you don't want to just pull verses in to pull verses in, but you reference to other places in Scripture in which uh, what we are seeing in our particular text that we're preaching on, in this case Jude, we see that presented in other places in Scripture. Uh, one of the things, and uh, one of the things I think is overlooked quite a bit, is in when we preach, um, we, we often miss points to point back to the unifi- unification of what we see within Scripture as a, to- as a whole, as a total whole. Which is why things like what uh, Gary just did here are important because they, they help the listener see that these are all ideas that interconnect between what we see in Scripture. So in this case, what Jude's referencing is the same thing that Jesus referenced back in Matthew. And it gives us a, a better representation of what, what hell looks like, what separation from God looks like, and helps us, even, in, even if it's in the smallest degree, start to form theologies that maybe we haven't thought about before, maybe we just have ignored, uh, but it gives us a little kind of a little booster shot there in order to say, oh, okay, uh, maybe, you know, I want to, maybe I want to look more into this, right? Maybe this is a subject that I'm a little interested in. We take down some notes and we look it in later. It just gives the congregation um, the, this sort of, hey, this, this is a coherent thought without scripture, within scripture uh, of, of hell in this this particular case, obviously in other sermon reviews, we've seen this happen as well. The idea being that we're, we're pulling from other places in Scripture as pastors to demonstrate the, the, the fullness of the Scripture that we have that demonstrates um, that there, there are, co- you know, there's ideas that connect throughout. And that's important and helpful for the congregation because then we can say, oh, wow, this, this isn't just by itself it is actually a thought that we see throughout Scripture, and that's that's why we hold it to be true. We, we see it throughout Scripture. So anyway, just wanted to point that out because I think it's something that, one, as pastors, um, it's harder for us to do because it's going to take more time in study and preparation. But two, it's one of the things I think as listeners, as congregants, that we sort of miss sometimes that the pastor pointed out those verses, but we're not taking the time to note those down and look at them later. But that's important because we go, okay, well, let's— Let's double check the pastor. Or let's like look more into this subject, and that helps us to do that. It, you know, because it would it, there would probably be the, the tendency. I I don't I don't know this. Obviously, it's not in the Bible. But you know, so Mary and Joseph. Let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt. But but in a lot of families, I could just hear you know the parents like you know why can't you clean up your room like Jesus? I mean, seriously, why, why can't you ever, you know, can't you do your schoolwork? Look at Jesus get straight A's. What's wrong with you? You know, so it was probably a delight and probably some, which might be the reason why his half brothers and sisters didn't at first believe in him. Like, ah, oh, yeah, we grew up with him. Yeah, we could never live up to Jesus, you know. And so, but eventually they got over that and, uh, and they love him and receive him as, and accept him as Messiah. And so Jude doesn't have anything good here to say about these false teachers, and he's going to expose them all through this letter. And then he's also going to, particularly at the end, encourage believers to contend for the faith and to finish strong. You know, it does not really matter what kind of a start you got. What matters is how well you finish. Some of you came to know Christ at a very young age, and some of you came to know Christ later in your life, 
And I hear people from time to time talk about how I wish I'd come to know Christ earlier in life because I regret some of the things before I knew Jesus. And okay, you know what? You got out of the blocks a little bit late on the start, but it doesn't matter. What matters is how you finish. And God is the redeemer of lives. And God can take broken people and make them whole. And God can give us a hope and a future and, and obviously salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Judah's going to say here, finish well, finish strong. You may not have gotten the best start, but finish well and finish strong. So let's take a look here in chapter 1 here, verse 1. And Okay, so real quick, that was about a 12-minute uh, introduction in regards to if we were just to watch it straight out. And that's not bad. The full sermon, and this is why we're not going to get all the way through it, because it's the full sermon is 51 minutes. Uh, but all together, for an hour sermon, 12-minute introduction, not too bad. You can tell that you know Gary is probably, I don't know anything about this man, but I'm sure he seems to be very, fairly seasoned in preaching, just the way he's building his sermon, the time he's allotting to certain issues and certain parts of the, the sermon throughout. But good introduction, right? So now as we read into as we read Jude we now have a lot of information that we can now process Jude through um, that you know that that's what Gary's going to do now he's going to walk the congregation through Jude saying okay you have all this information you know who he is you know kind of the area of time as far as that this letter was written you know why it was written you know the main points as far as the false teacher thing that he pointed out and you know kind of what he says to believers as far as to endure and finish well so now Let's look at that and unpack all of that so we can see those elements within the text here. Um, I think one of the things that's sort of missing in modern day preaching is the, the, the preaching teaching aspect of a sermon. Um, you've heard me talk about it before, and if you want to go back, we obviously have sermon reviews that would fit into this category. But sometimes they're far more entertaining, or like a pep talk, or like a, a better you. You can you like they're they're more of a rally cry than they are a hey let's learn this. And one of the jobs of the pastor is to equip the saints to do the ministry of the gospel, to, you know, to have the tools necessary and the understanding needed to go out and to tell other people about Jesus. Now, you're not always going to have all the answers and everything, but you, the more you study the Bible, the more you understand the heart of God through the revealing of the Holy Spirit and the opening and teaching of his word. And so teaching like this is so helpful for a believer because it's not like a cupcake Christianity like this is like a steak put in front of you that you're going to be able to eat with steak and mashed potatoes and corn like you're going to be you're going to have nutrition from a sermon like this not just like a quick sugar high from a you know like a pep talk and the energy's high and everything's great and like like that'll get you a little bit of a kick but it's not going to sustain you as a believer whereas a sermon in which like you can like is taught through like what we're about to see here and what we've already seen is so helpful for a believer because now it's like it's literally the meat and potatoes of what we need as a believer to walk through the scripture with others and to, to learn uh, what God has done in the past and specifically in this case uh, to defend uh, the faith passed down through the saints. So anyway, let's keep going. He's going to get into the actual reading of the scripture now. Where he says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, I'm going to put back the main themes again so we can 
keep focused on that. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Now circle those three words, called, sanctified, preserved. Called, sanctified. Some of your Bibles, some translations say beloved instead of sanctified. I'll take either one. I, I, I love the love of the Lord, and I need to be sanctified by the Lord. Called, sanctified, and preserved. Uh, that word preserved, he's going to begin his letter and end his letter in the same way. He says that we are preserved in Jesus Christ. Some of your Bibles say we are kept in Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the way the, 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 the epistle ends in verse 24, where he gives thanks to the Lord. And he says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He speaks there in verse 24 about God being able to keep us. He begins the letter here in verse one saying to God, the, by God the Father and preserved or kept in Jesus Christ. And it's an encouraging word for us to remember. God is a keeping God. God is a keeping God. The Bible says in different places, like Philippians 1, 6, this is what Paul meant when he said, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, because God is a keeping God. Paul would also say in 1 Corinthians 1, 8, that God will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is a keeping God. Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. God is a keeping God. And even in... Now, I just want you to see, like, again, I'm geeking out here as far as just sermon building and what this looks like. But can you, I mean, you see what Gary's doing, right? Like he's pulling from other places in scripture, showing, as I've already mentioned, as he did when he was kind of giving us an intro here to Jude, of... The reality of what Jude is telling them, we see throughout Scripture. That, and he keeps, and this is why like, I can tell that Gary's done this for a while, because he's got kind of this rhythm going. He talks about a passage that describes what we've seen in Jude that kind of runs parallel it. And then he says, God is a keeping God. These, this is a great speaking tactic, like tactic, I guess you would call it, speaking mechanism in which like not only shows that Gary is prepared, it also shows that Gary is seasoned, but it, it shows that it's purposeful. Like he, he wants the people that he's talking to, to know that God is a keeping God. How do we know God's a keeping God? Well, we have these verses. We have this evidence from the text to show us that he's a keeping God. So what Jude is saying here then is he's echoing back what the apostles, uh, or specifically he's referencing a lot of Paul, uh, the apostle, what Paul has said about, you know, God's character. God is a keeping God. And so this is helpful. Again, like I've said, we could read through, like he could have just read through Jude and gotten a ton of information and it would be great by itself. But what he's doing here is showing us that scripture connects so much. And not only does it connect, but it connects for a reason, like to show us the character of who God is and how we interact with him and how he interacts with us and what that looks like, and what that means. With the main point here being God is a keeping God. He's faithful. Um, and that's, that's, that's an amazing point by itself, but he keeps going. In the Old Testament, the great priestly blessing of Numbers chapter 6 says, The Lord bless you and keep you, and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, and the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God is a keeping God. God is actively at work helping us to persevere. 
And so Jude begins his letter by saying, God is a keeping God in verse one, God is a keeping God in verse 24. These are like bookends to his epistle, but a good reminder to us that God will help us to finish this race. He will help us to finish strong. And then in verse two, the common salutation of, of the um, New Testament writers, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Be multiplied to you. He says, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. So here, here's where he's going to tell us. Hey, this, my intent was to write you just a charming letter rejoicing about our common salvation. Now, he doesn't mean common as in cheap, like it's everyday common. He means common in its mutual. He says, I had intended to write to you about our mutual salvation, our common faith. But he says, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, in your Bibles there, contend earnestly is one word in the Greek, and it is the only time this particular Greek word is used in all of the New Testament, uh, and the word is uh, epagonizomei, epagonizomei, and in the, yeah, you try that three times. And in the middle of that word, apagonizomei, is where we get our English word agonize. Apagonizomei. And so the idea is to fight, to agonize, to labor, contend earnestly for the faith. Now, it isn't in the sense like you have to earn it, you know, work for salvation. Salvation's already been gained for you. Okay, we receive it through faith. It's a gift from God. It's, it's by grace that we save. But it's the idea that now that we are saved, we're in this for the long haul, so fight for your faith. Stay strong in the Lord. Don't grow weary. Don't get weak. Don't check out. We talked about on Sunday. Don't become complacent. Don't become apathetic in your faith. Fight. Agonize. Labor. Because why? It's important. You fight for what's important. You fight for the things that are valuable. Your faith is valuable. It's supremely valuable. So he's challenging us. Fight. Fight for your faith. Don't allow the influence of evil to overcome you, but fight for the faith. And he's going to tell us in a few verses here examples of people who lost, people who gave in to the evil influence of their day. So, so one of the things here that I think is important, right? So we've talked about at the very beginning is what you're looking for in sermons. Primarily, again, it's not like it's a Greek exposition of every word within the text, but you're looking for those key words that maybe, uh, you know, as a pastor, you're looking for those words that maybe are not as clear as you think they are, right? So as you're doing your word studies, as you're preparing your sermon, you're looking for words that are basically hinge words. Like it, what this means actually determines a huge part of what the text is. Like you want to look into those so that you explain those well. This is exactly what Gary did here. He specifically looks at contend, breaks it down, explains it to them so that, I mean, the, the letter basically hinges on the fact that Jude wanted to write to talk about the salvation that we share but he can't because he wants them to contend for the faith because he knows of all the false teachers that are that are infiltrating the church. So what does contend mean, right? What does that look like? So it's wonderful that he breaks it down. He talks about it, it looks like it's agonization, it's agonizing over something. Like, so it's, it's clearer for us now, right, as contemporary listeners to understand the kind of the thrust of what Jude is going for here when he writes the letter to those he's writing it to. What, what is he telling them to do? 
And this isn't something that he's only telling them, right? This is false teachers coming into the church. What are they supposed to do? Well, they're supposed to contend for the faith, right? This is hap- this happens all throughout the new uh, the early church. This happens all throughout the uh, you know the early development of the church as you know as far as canon being closed and then we see the church kind of spreading throughout the world. Um, obviously, false teachers come in even now today, coming in to spread false gospels. So this letter is incredibly important to all people for all time that are believers to contend for the faith. So this is why it's important for Gary to break this word down, like so that we understand it. So we get what, as believers, we're supposed to do in situations in which false teachers come into the church. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to contend for the faith. So he breaks that down. It's really, uh, this is good because he doesn't, and if you watch the rest of the sermon, it's not like he goes, you know, bonanza on every word in this letter. But because this is a very important word that we need to understand, he breaks it down so that we get it. So that now as we read the rest of what Jude writes, because it's all connecting back to what he's talking about, about contending for the faith. We, we understand a bit clear, right? Not only who he is and where he comes from, because we've already covered that in the first 12 minutes of the sermon. But now that he's saying, hey, I, I want you to contend for the faith once delivered, right? What does that look like? What does that mean? So that it's, this is, again, this is a great thing to do or to look for in a sermon because this helps us as congregants to understand it better and then apply it now. So he challenges us here, he exhorts us. He said, I I wanted to write this wonderful letter about our common salvation, but instead I find myself overwhelmed here. I have to exhort you uh, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse four, for certain men, here's this idea about the false teachers, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. Please, please note that. And uh, NIV says they've come, they've secretly slipped in among you. You know, false teachers are not going to say, hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm a false teacher. They sneak in secretively. So, you know, it's always, I, I throw this caution out every, every once in a while. It's important. You, you don't take my word for it. You search what Scripture says. You don't take some TV evangelist's word for it. You search Scriptures to see what the Bible says. You don't read a Christian book and just take it at face value. You pass it through the grid of God's Word. We have to make sure that we're testing things because false teachers don't announce themselves. They come. That should be said by every pastor, everywhere really often like you have things that come so you have pastors that are really well known that people will follow from conference to conference church to church why because it's that person you will have people that will literally read uh, certain christian books and won't question a thing in them because either who it's written by or who suggested it to them and there will be things in there that don't line up with scripture but they won't check it against it so they'll just believe it there are certain, uh, you know, certain forms of Christian music or Christian, uh, so-called Christian music or Christian movies or Christian uh, things that occur, right? That people go, well, this, you know, it's whatever. This person suggested it. It can't be that bad. And they won't check it against Scripture, right? So this is why you have all this contention whenever you bring up stuff like, um, <laughs> this will get me in trouble here. When you bring up the Enneagram, people are like, well, what's the problem? Like pass that through scripture, right? When you bring up, uh, this will get me in trouble too, critical race theory, like pass that through scripture. There's so many things like right here, politics, pass that through scripture. If you're just accepting and falling into certain things without first 
putting them through the lens of scripture, seeing if it lines up with what has been said in scripture and just accepting it because it sounds good, that's problematic. If you're listening just to a pastor and you're like, well, that guy, he's smart and you're not passing it through scripture, that's problematic. What he says here, if you don't hear anything else, that part's key. Don't just take what somebody says, myself included, anybody, I don't care. Pass it through scripture, right? Push back with scripture. Because that is ultimately our foundation. That's ultimately our guide that God has given to us to know who he is and how he operates. So anyway, let's get back to it. Come in secretly. They come in, they crept in unnoticed. Who, verse 4, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation? Ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness. And, it, you know, a lot of times lewdness we think in terms of sexuality, but it, it just bas- basically means a brazen practice. The, 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 the corruption of doctrine is a brazen practice. He could, that's what he means by lewdness. He, he says, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's two things I want to point out here. One, I appreciate very much that he kind of broke down lewdness a little bit because I think that is, as he said, pretty misunderstood. Secondly, this, this congregational shot gives us, uh, and the, the ones that have come before this, if you've noticed, but one of the things I do want to point out, you can see at least one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I mean, a dozen people at least that if, not only do they have their Bibles open, but a few of them, especially the gentleman right in front of us, is taking notes. I think this is something that we just don't do anymore. And it's, 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 it's not like it's super helpful to take notes, to sit down and try to look. Maybe maybe you are you know a person that has to do A, B, C, A, B, C, take notes that way. Maybe you're a doodler, right? There's one point and then you draw it. There's a lot of people that I've seen do that. Like they take a sermon note and then they draw like a little picture, like and they're concentrating, like that's how they can focus in. That's how they can kind of quiet their mind and listen by doing that. Like whatever it takes to help you remember what's being said, to, to bring it into your mind and apply it, that's what we're looking for, right? It, it's, it's not helpful if you just go to church and hear something and then forget it as soon as you leave. So whatever means that means, whether it be taking notes, um, just honestly just sitting there and reading it or maybe making lines in your Bible to the notes on the side, like whatever it is, like it's important that you, you, you do something in order to remember that for later. Um, and I just want to point that out. A couple of things. We see that happening here in, in the congregation. Verse five, but I want to remind you, I was going to give us examples here. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So uh, he's going to give us three examples here. Now, now he's talking here about encouraging believers to contend for the faith and to finish strong. And he's going to give three examples of people who didn't finish well, of people who didn't fight for the faith. Now, he's going to draw on Old Testament examples because that's what he has, the Jewish scriptures. I mean, in the first century, you didn't have the completion of the New Testament. You're still relying on the scripture of the Old Testament. And so the, the, the Tanakh, the whole of, of God's word from Genesis to Malachi. And so he's going to draw on three examples from the Old Testament. Now, that might seem 
like a dumb moment for some of you watching this video. But for other people, that may be brand new knowledge that's very helpful. Like I've talked to a lot of people, like way more than way more than should have given me this answer, but growing up with some concept that the Bible kind of dropped out of the sky, right? And I don't know where that comes from. Some people say it's sort of this assumed thing, like the pastor sort of never says it's not, so that's sort of the assumption that it, like there's a lot of people that come from a lot of different backgrounds that kind of just come at it that way and it's it's confusing to me because what we have here that Gary's doing is really important in the sense that he's breaking it down for the congregation. So maybe, maybe, maybe people don't know. Maybe they grew up in a church that doesn't teach this way. Maybe they have just become Christians and they assume the Bible was always the Bible as it is. But the point that he said, though, though it seems so simple, it's very helpful to some people, especially pastors. If you're like, as we're preparing our sermons, it's important for us to do so with the knowledge that a lot of people don't have biblical literacy. They don't know that when Jude wrote the New Testament, as we have it, wasn't compiled. So what he said here was that Jude is drawing on Old Testament references that he's aware of, the Tanakh, like the things that the, that the Jews had about who God was and what he had done throughout time for them. Like they had that. They didn't have the completion of the New Testament. They had letters that were circulating. Uh, I, I would argue by the dates on Jude that there were letters that were circulating at that point, but they were not compiled into what we know as the New Testament. So Jude draws on Old Testament sources. And this is helpful. Like I said, like for some people, that's brand new knowledge. That's new news to them. But it's helpful for their development of understanding how the Bible was compiled, what that looked like. And if it is new news and they go, I don't understand that, they at least know that they can ask well, what do you mean that the New Testament wasn't compiled yet? And then we can get into this whole how the canon was made, what that looks like, what, you know, what are the councils? Like, like we can talk about that and educate. Again, this is a teaching, preaching session where it's equipping the believers uh, so that they are, they're, they're better, they have better knowledge of, of, of who God is, how he works throughout time. So anyway, I just want to point that out because for some people, they've never heard that in a sermon of those who allowed evil to influence them. And they didn't stand strong in the faith. They didn't stand strong in the Lord. And so the first one that he points out here in verse five, reminding us, though you once knew this, the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So the first example he gives is the Israelites in the wilderness. And this, this account, of course, is, is all through the book of Exodus and recounted again in, in the book of Numbers. And, and it's this whole wilderness wandering thing for 40 years when, when God had delivered the Jewish slaves out of slavery in Egypt, taking, and, th and that by itself was a series of miracles to eventually get Pharaoh reluctantly to let the Hebrew slaves go. And God takes them to the promised land and there they are on the border of the promised land. And Moses sends in uh, 12 sp uh, spies and two come back with a good report. The others have a bad report. And the two that had a good report were Caleb and Joshua. And all the others had a bad report. Oh, we, we, 
there's giants in the land. We can't go in there. They're going to consume us. Uh, I don't know. You know, we've come this far, but, you know, we, I don't think that we're going to be victorious. And maybe, maybe we made a big mistake. And, and they spread fear throughout the whole camp of the Israelites. And before you know it, all along the way, the Israelites have been grumbling and complaining about this and that. And now this was just like the straw that broke the camel's back. Because now they're like, well, if there are giants in the land, and if this doesn't look like some place that we can take and occupy, then what are we doing out here in the wilderness? And they start complaining to God. Like, we can't go in there. It would have been better if we had gone back to Egypt. We would be better off back in Egypt. And so God's like, okay, you want Egypt? Okay, you're, you're, you're right here in the Sinai Peninsula. Why don't you just hang out here for 40 more years? And for 40 years, that entire generation would wander in the Sinai Peninsula until they would eventually die off. And only their children would go into the promised land plus Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who had the favorable report because they believed God. Okay, so what I want you to see, we have about 10 more minutes here before we kind of wrap this up. So we're not going to get through a lot more of his points, but what I want you to see what he's doing here for the next kind of point is what he did here, right? So he's pulling this out and showing us as we walk through the verses in Jude uh, of the examples of those that didn't finish well. Um, and he does so opening up the scriptures to what Jude is referencing, that the people that Jude would have written to would have known about, though us, those in the audience, right, those that are listening to this sermon, uh, may either never have heard of, if we're newer Christians, or two, maybe have, I mean, we haven't read it recently, so maybe we've forgotten a little bit about the details of the story. So what Gary does here is he says, hey, this is the first example. What is he referring to? Well, he's referring back to the, the Israelites coming out of Israel or out of Egypt, rather, what that looked like, what they did, how they ended up, where they ended up. Like He's unpacking it so that we can understand exactly what Judah's referencing and in so doing, understand how they didn't finish well and what they kind of messed up on. So we can understand the example that Judah's using and have a better picture of it. So again, this is, this is the same sort of application uh, and principle that he did at the beginning of the sermon, right? Uh, explaining who Jude was, who he was related to, where he came from, when this was written, right? It's, it's information that is helpful for us to understand what he's saying. He does the same thing here, saying, look, okay, this is a reference that Jude makes. This is why it's important. Let me unpack a very quick summary of what he's saying so that everyone understands, and then he'll move on to the next one. Again, this seems, I understand for a lot of people, this is going to seem like, like, like a duh moment, like elementary. This is, of course, what you would do. But I want you to understand that, I mean, I think if you watch some of the previous sermon reviews, you're going to see that's not as common as we would hope it would be, right? This is an example of good preaching, right? Of the opening up of the word, of the unpacking of scripture, the, equipment, the equipping of saints, right? That's not as common as we would like to think. Now, again, that's, there's a lot of churches that do this, but I want to give you an example of like when you watch a sermon or when you're looking for a church, like this, this, this is a really good example of what to look for. So anyway, keep going. Besides Joshua and Caleb, an entire generation of the Israelites would die in the wilderness. Why? Because they did not believe God and they did not stand for what was right and true. And they allowed evil influence to take over their hearts and their minds and they ended up dying in the wilderness. And God gave them what they really wanted. We don't want to go in there. Okay, fine, then you can die out here and I'll take your children into the promised land. And that's exactly what he did. And so Jude draws on that example. 
He says, hey, remember the Jewish people. They came out of the land of Egypt. They, they started well, but they didn't finish well. And so they died in the wilderness. Verse 6, this is example number 2. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So number two, the second example that Jude gives here is about the angels who rebelled with Satan. Um, again, they got off to a great start, but they didn't finish well because they allowed the influence of Satan to steal their hearts away from God. And what the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12, actually, because the Bible is not necessarily in chronological order, and, and some of what we read in the book of Revelation actually predates things and goes back historically. And Revelation 12 talks about how Satan rebelled against God. And that day that he rebelled against God, he led a third of what the Bible calls stars, but it's a euphemism for angels. He led a third of the angels in rebellion with him in this great coup against God. Now, how many is a third of the angels? We don't know because we don't know how many angels there actually are. But, but you're talking a lot. And these third, the third of the angels who rebelled with Satan were expelled with him from heaven, otherwise known today as demons. Satan inspired them to rebel against God with him. And thus, they were expelled. But what Jude is telling us here, and there's another story in Luke chapter 8 that backs all this up as well when you compare Scripture with Scripture. What Jude is telling us is that some of the worst of the worst of these demons have been kept in this chains, reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now, in Revelation... Now, before we get too far here, because we're... I'm actually probably going to this. I'll stop it here and then we'll kind of wrap up and you can watch again. If you want to watch the rest of this, we're only 23 minutes into a 51 minute sermon. You, there's a link in the description below that you can finish the whole sermon. But there's a couple of things that he said here that I think is really important. <laughs> so one, he pointed out what we've already talked about, uh, you know, comparing scripture with scripture, which is important. Um, he talked about how the Bible isn't necessarily in chronological order. Again, giving the, the listener a like a again just one more piece of information that maybe they didn't know that they can now look into but he's not here's one of the things that i haven't said before i think he's not he's not scared to to say that right there's some there's sometimes there's pastors that i think i don't know if scared is the right word maybe worried like they don't want to throw that information out there because they're concerned that maybe how the congregation will take it or maybe it'll make somebody doubt and leave or maybe it'll bring up questions that you know they don't want to have to answer like Gary here isn't concerned about that. Like he said a number of times here, a lot of really good stuff about scripture, uh, about the Bible, about chronological order, like all these things that are very helpful in, in educating people about scripture, how it, was, how it was written, who wrote it, where it came from, how it was compiled, like all things that are very important for people to know so that we, we, we are basically like many apologists. Like we, we understand how the word works and how it came together and how it was formed. So we're not taken off guard by that. Somebody comes up and goes, hey, did you know Jude wasn't written until da, 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 such a time? And you can go, yeah, I knew that. Like it, it's, not a, it's not a faith-shaking moment. Why? Because I already know that. I was already taught that. And so that's, I think, one of the things that's really important here that he points out. Now, he goes on to do this, like, again, if you watch this, I would encourage you to definitely watch this full sermon 
uh, without my commentary or just watch, watch the rest of it without my commentary by clicking on that link in the description. But this is great in regards to not only showing expository preaching, which is going through the, the, this letter here verse by verse and bringing out the truth in it, but it's also a great uh, demonstration of what it looks like to give the people context as far as the beginning, telling who Jude was, uh, how it relates to the rest of Scripture, but also showing a few times, a couple times in particular, going into particular words that could be confusing for some people and then showing what those words originally meant so as to clarify and to give kind of a better representation of what Jude in this case is saying. These are all very important things. Like when you leave here, this you're not, and this is what I always, I've mentioned in previous sermon reviews, but when you leave this service, you're not going, hey, man, Gary, Gary, like, Gary, did you hear that saying by Gary? Like, that was a really good, like, phrase that Gary said. Like, nobody leaves with that. Like, you're, you're going to get up and go, wow, I know more about Jude now. Like, you're going to leave with so much information that you're probably going to want to dig more into it because it's a teaching thing. It's not, this is like, you could leave and be like, what was that pastor's name? I don't know, but I want, like, I want to know because I want to listen more to what he says because he's preaching from the word. It's not a, hey, let's make Gary great. It's like, man, he did a really good job with with that word. Like, I know more. I'm I'm I, 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 I'm amazed by God's glory. I know more about who Jesus is. I'm I'm just enamored with what Jude wrote, right? You're in the scripture because of how the sermon's presented um, by Gary. So anyway, let's end it there. I would encourage you definitely to go watch the rest of the sermon. I think this is a great example of showing how sermons should be presented, how they should be built, what we should be looking for. Uh, if we're looking for a church and looking for, you know, um, a certain type of preaching, I think this is a great example of what you should be looking for. So hopefully this has been helpful for you. If it has, make sure you leave a like, a comment, you share it with who you know, um, so they can kind of come over here and maybe they will also find these sermon reviews helpful because the hope in these is to kind of give tools to you in order to, as you watch a variety of different sermons, be able to say, hey, is this pastor dividing the word rightly or are they not? So hopefully they've been helpful to you. I'll talk to you next week.